Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. One of the great things about doing this podcast is discovering wonderful authors who are no longer taught anymore. One such author is the Native American physician and author Charles Eastman, who is among the original founders of the Boy Scouts of America. We featured Mr. Eastman this past Sunday in the Our Sunday Talk series, where we discussed Native American spirituality. To learn how to gain access to Our Sunday Talks, please visit livinghour.org forward slash Sunday. Today's reading was also written by Charles Eastman and was edited and adapted from the book Indian Scout Talks. A Guide for Boy Scouts and Campfire Girls, published in 1914. To be in harmony with nature, one must be true in thought, free in action, and clean in body, mind, and spirit. This is the solid granite foundation of character. Have you ever wondered why most great men and women were born in humble homes and passed their early youth in the open country? There a child is accustomed to see the sunrise and sunset every day. There the rocks and trees are personal friends. The child's geography is born with them, for they carry a map of the region in their head. In civilization there are many deaf ears and blind eyes, because the average child in the town has been deprived of close contact and intimacy with nature. What they have learned from books they soon forget, or are unable to apply. All learning is a dead language to the student who gets it second hand. It is necessary that you should live with nature, my friends, if only that you may verify to your own satisfaction your schoolroom lessons. Further than this, you may be able to correct some error, or even to learn something that will be a real contribution to the sum of human knowledge. That is by no means impossible to a sincere observer. In the great laboratory of nature, There are endless secrets yet to be discovered. We will follow the method of my Indian ancestors, for the Native American is the only people I know who accept natural things as lessons in themselves, direct from the great giver of life. Yet there exists in the Indian, as in you, a dread of strange things in strange places, light and darkness, storm and calm, affects our minds as they do yours, until we have learned to familiarize ourselves with earth and sky in their harsher aspects. Suppose that you are absolutely alone in the great woods at night. The Indian child was taught from babyhood not to fear such a situation, For the laws of the wilderness must necessarily be right and just, and we are almost universally respected by the animals, unless we ourselves are the aggressor. This is the normal attitude of trust in our surroundings, both animate and inanimate. 
and if our own attitude is normal, the environment at once becomes so. It is true that an innate sense of precaution makes us fear what is strange. It is equally true that simplicity and faith in the natural wins in the end. I will tell you how I was trained as a boy to overcome the terror of darkness and loneliness. My uncle, who was my first teacher, was accustomed to send me out from my night camp in search of water. As we lived a roving life in pursuit of game, my errand led me often into pathless and unfamiliar woods. While yet very young, all the manhood and self-reliance in me was called forth by this test. You can imagine how I felt as I pushed forward alone into the blackness, conscious of real danger from possible wild beasts and lurking foes. How thrilling, how tantalizing the cry of the screech owl, even the rustling of a leaf or the snapping of a dry twig underfoot sent a chill through my body. Novice that I was, I did not at once realize that it is as easy as swimming. All I needed was confidence in myself and in the elements. As I hurried through the forest in the direction my uncle had indicated, there seemed gradually to develop sufficient light for me to distinguish the trees along my way. The return trip was thus easier. When, as often happened, my uncle sent me for a second pailful, no protest or appeal escaped my lips, thanks to my previous training in silent obedience. Instinct helped me, as he had foreseen, to follow the trail I had made, and the trees were already old acquaintances. I could hear my own breathing in the silence. My footfall and heartbeat sounded as though they were those of another person coming behind me, and while this disturbed me at first, I quickly became accustomed to it. Very soon I learned to distinguish different kinds of trees by the rustling of their leaves in the breeze, which is caused by the stir of a person or animal. If you can accustom yourself to travel at night, how much more you will be able to see and appreciate in the daytime. You will become more sensible of the unseen presences all about you, and understand better the communications of the wild creatures. Once you have thrown off the handicap of physical fear, there will develop a feeling of sympathetic warmth unknown before. In the event of sudden danger, I was taught to remain perfectly motionless, a dead pause for the body, while the mind acts quickly yet steadily, planning a means of escape. If I discover the enemy first, I may be passed undiscovered. This rule is followed by the animals as well. You will find it strictly observed by the young ones who are hidden by their mother before they are able to run with her, and they are made to close their eyes also, for the shining pupil of the eye is a great giveaway. 
It is wonderful how quickly and easily we can adjust ourselves to our surroundings in wild life. How gentle is the wild soul when at peace. How quick and masterful in action. Like the wild one, we must keep nature's laws, develop a sound, wholesome body, and maintain an alert and critical mind. The desire to be a full-fledged adult, the native spirit of the explorer and the hero, this is the strong inner motive which leads us out on the wilderness trail to discover the world anew. First of all, we discover what we ourselves must be in order to overcome difficulties, to resist pain and hardship, and to win the object of our quest. With these impulses at their purest and strongest, we begin our career with the building of a sound and efficient body. The rivers and lakes present themselves as obstacles in our path and as a very young child we may start to swim, as naturally almost as we begin to walk. I can remember standing on a white pebbly beach with my grandfather at my side, standing silent, full of sincere reverence for the spirit of the deep, as I stood before the towering cliff or the majestic solitary tree. In advance of every undertaking, I love to meet the all-pervading spirit in the attitude of wordless prayer. The simple effort, the plunge, that is the important thing. As we grow, we become more and more expert in daring. Our idea of perfection is first endurance, then swiftness. Grace and form come naturally while aiming at these two. Therefore, you must swim at all times, in rough water and against strong currents. When someday you are cast suddenly into the water at a disadvantage, you will know how to utilize your strength to the utmost, and often overcome tremendous odds. Clear your mind of all dread and suspicion. This is the first step in the wilderness life. Think not the water will drown you, or that anything in the water or on land will bite or poison you. Have confidence in nature and yourself. Perhaps three-fourths of your physical failures are due to lack of nerve and willpower. It is not my purpose to teach you to swim but to help you develop a strong body and a logical mind, and to excel at life. A perfectly trained outdoor body has much natural heat and can generate much more by exercise. Much depends upon habit and early training, yet it is quite possible to learn new habits after one is well grown. One of the first things to do is to accustom yourself to lie on the ground until your muscles make the necessary adjustment to its hardness and unevenness, and you can rest in comfort. Do not worry about snakes or insects. They will rarely do you harm. 
nor is there any danger from dampness once you are in training. A few evergreen boughs over frozen or wet ground are protection enough. The best way to sleep in camp is feet toward the fire. There are several reasons for this. If by any mischance the fire escapes, your feet are very sensitive and will awaken you in time. Also, it is easy to get up without disturbing anyone. You should always arouse every fiber of your body before you begin the day. The first thing to do when you awake is to stretch every limb to the utmost, and finally the entire body. Take pleasure in the most tremendous yawns. Then rise and start up the fire. Run to the nearest stream or lakeshore, and either plunge in or splash the fresh cold water upon your face, chest, and arms. Hold your face and eyes under water for several seconds. After that, rinse your mouth and throat. Rub yourself vigorously with the palms of your hand, and comb your hair with the placid pool or spring for your only mirror. In awakening your sleeping body this way, you pattern after your animal friends. You will observe that no dog gets up and walks off without thoroughly stretching, from the nose to the tip of the tail. This is an excellent cure for early morning laziness. Next, we must be sure to develop a strong, healthy stomach, for much depends upon a perfect digestion. The teeth are valuable assistants, and these you should exercise vigorously on tough food and fiber, and keep them clean. In return, they will give you excellent service. It is the Native American tradition to take our heartiest meal in the evening, sometimes taking another meal later in the night. Breakfast, thus, is a light one, and if we expect to run much, we eat nothing at all. An occasional short fast of 24 to 48 hours is also important, as a means of developing endurance and self-restraint. If you wish to sleep soundly and sweetly again, as babies do, such sleep will surely come after a day of healthful bodily exercise in the open air, when a good evening meal and the warmth of a cheerful campfire bring on that delicious drowsiness to which it is a luxury to yield. Lastly, remember that in order to reach the height of your physical possibilities, you must have a trained mind. The school of the outdoors is no haphazard thing, but a system of education which has been long in the building and which produces results. Ingenuity, faithfulness, and self-reliance will accomplish wonderful things in civilized life as well as in wildlife. But to my mind, individuality and initiative are more successfully developed in the person who is at home in nature, where your neighbors are regarded more than self. Duty is sweeter and more inspiring, patriotism more sacred, 
and friendship is a true and eternal bond. Let us be trained in the natural way, which means to be kept in close contact with the natural world, conscious of our relation to all life. The spiritual world is real, and the splendor of life stands out preeminently, while beyond all, and in all, dwells the great mystery, unsolved and unsolvable, except in those things which it is good for your own spirit to know. The good things of earth are not yours to withhold from others, but are yours to use and enjoy together with your fellow citizens, to whom it is your privilege to bring them. Go outside and develop a wholesome, vigorous body and mind, to which all work seems play, rather than a painful toil for possession's sake. Live a happy, rollicking life, gallant, patriotic, public-spirited, filled with the lusty youth of humanity. Be always ready to undertake the impossible or to impoverish yourself to help a friend. Most of all, treasure every opportunity to be of service to others, to be kind, to serve as a role model for humanity's highest aspirations. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. For free transcripts, please visit livinghour.org. To get 30% off our Majesty program, please go to livinghour.org forward slash majesty and use the coupon code INSPIRATION. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.